Hey, everyone. One quick note before you enjoy today's episode with Abu Talib. As we live in a technology-based world, sometimes there are technology-based issues, and we had a little bit of an issue with the audio quality. To maintain and preserve the best audio quality, we've dubbed over our guest's audio for today, um, and that's for the user experience. Didn't change anything, just enhance the audio experience. If you want to hear the undubbed version, you can go over to Ironclad's YouTube page at This Is Ironclad. You can watch the full episode with closed captioning as well. How can I help? How can I be useful in ending needless suffering? Do not be afraid of work that has no end. We have to organize a social movement. We have an opportunity to lead by example versus just talking, hot air. I think the more people in this fight, the more we grow. Eventually, it could change. You know, the people are the ones that can make the change. Can you imagine having to flee where you live with only what you can carry on your back? With a family that you could hold hands with and have to literally walk across borders to escape persecution? Well, that's exactly what has been happening in Myanmar. In August of 2017, Myanmar troops and mobs began attacking Rohingya communities. The BBC reports that at least 6,700 Rohingya, including at least 730 children under the age of five, were killed in the month after the violence broke out. You may ask yourself, well, I've never really heard of Myanmar and I haven't heard of Rohingya, so what are they? The Rohingya are an ethnic and religious minority group that have faced widespread persecution in Myanmar. Rape and sexual assault were common. At least 288 villages, you heard me correctly, were partially or totally destroyed after August of 2017. Hundreds of thousands have fled the country. One of the largest refugee settlements for these people fleeing, which is in Bangladesh, is home to nearly one million refugees. Hundreds of thousands live in internment camps, and conditions in the refugee camps are very rough. Most don't have access to work or education. Women and children are targeted by sex traffickers. And our guest today is one of the few who has made it out. Abu Talib's journey from Myanmar involved spending weeks adrift at sea and time in Sri Lanka before eventually making it to the United States for resettlement. And today, Abu is an extremely proud citizen of the United States. As you're gonna hear throughout the interview, he has now dedicated his life to raising awareness about the plight of the Rohingya people and helping others find a path to citizenship. Can you tell me about your journey to the United States? Yes. Before I came here from my home country, I tried to go in the militia to escape the persecution in Burma when I was 14. So there's some my village people, you know, going into the militia because of the persecution. Before that one day I was going to school and the Burmese police stopped me to work for them for free, like forced labor. And then I heard the people going in there, and people arrested, and put in jail and subjected to violence and beatings, some people dying.
So at the age of 12, I told my parents, this is not the country that maybe I can grow up freely in and work in with a good education. Well, what about the people going in the militia, maybe I go with them. My mom completely didn't allow me, because I was so small. And my father asked, so what are you going to do? I stayed for a few years to see if the situation would be changed. And again, I requested my father warn that country's situation would become more worse. My father said, if you like, go. I mean, I don't want to stop you, and I don't want you to get killed. And my mother still, you know, didn't allow me to go over there. But, I accepted my father's permission. And I tried to go. And then I left with my village of people to Bangladesh. And then, from Bangladesh, we went to the ship. There, we were very unlucky. The ship captain was not a very experienced guy. Like, for an example, you can get 50 to 60 people on, and the captain took like a hundred on the ship, and the weight was too high, and the ship was so old. But after, after days, seven days, we didn't reach. Seven days after we left we finished water. We finished food. Everything was finished. And after seven days, we don't have any water. The mission was broken. The captain jumped in the river. There was Taiwan's ship. A fishing trawler came. And the captain and another three people jumped into the river. Taiwan's fishing trawler took them. So when a lot of people tried to jump into the river, the Taiwan ship ran away with the three people. And the Indian helicopter came. They tried to actually put a bomb on us. They thought we are a terrorist group like from Sri Lanka. When we went to talk to them like with body language, because none of us speak English on the ship. But when we spoke in body language, they understood our situation. Then the helicopter came to very close to us on the river, and then the helicopter left. After three days, like on the 27th day, the Sri Lanka Navy came. A Sri Lankan fishing trawler came. And then they gave us some food, water, and like a cookie, you know, a biscuit. And then we told them that we were struggling on the sea for 27 days. And then the Sri Lankan fishing trawler called the Sri Lankan Navy. And the Navy came the following morning. The Navy also came very weaponized. You know, at the time they had the LTTE going on. They thought we were a part of the LTTE. They didn't know we come from a different country. So they didn't understand our language. They said, where are you from? And we said, Burma. Burma. Actually, 
Burma is a good one, if you're on the sea. They said, we got it. Burma and Sri Lanka were good friends. But they don't know about the like persecution going on with the Rohingya. They just thought we are Burmese people so they rescued us, and the Navy took us to Sri Lanka. We were really glad that the Sri Lankan Navy and police were treating us with respect. They took us to shower, because for 27 days, we didn't take showers. So they really helped us, and really respected us. They fed us food. And they gave us clothes. They took us to the detention center in Colombo in Sri Lanka. And in the detention center, they kept us like nine months. And after nine months, the UN came, and the UN met us as international refugees. When you were leaving Burma, were you trying to make it to the United States, or did you just want to leave Burma, and you did not know where you were going to land up? I just wanted to leave Burma. From there, you had no dream. I never thought I was going to come to the U.S. How many people on the, the vessel when you were... Uh, leave in Sri Lanka, how many people ended up dying? 21 people passed away by food starvation and thirst. 70 people reached Sri Lanka. And I think 21 people passed away. One of my best friends passed away. That's tough, for sure. I'm sorry that you had to uh, experience that. Can you tell me about your childhood in Burma? What type of persecution uh, did you witness? I mean, when people go to school, you know, in high schools, military schools, they stop the students. And they start asking them to work for them. If you say, I'm like age 10, and I'm going to school, they don't care. I don't care you go to school. You should work, and then if you have an older brother like 21 or, or 22 or 30 something like that, every week they need to go to forced labor in order to have food in your home. If you don't go for some reason or you're sick, then they will come and they will take one of your family members and they will beat them and put them in the jail or something like that. I see that. I've seen it with my own eyes. They stoned me and they were beating me. They injured to my knee right here, badly. And from the day I decided, I'm not going to stay in this country, including me. There's a lot of, maybe a million, students like me, who thought like the same way. And many, they don't reach their destination. Maybe I'm, one of the lucky people who came to a Western country like me in the US or Canada or the UK or become a refugee, but there's a lot of people who die in this persecution and a lot of parents who didn't find their children. Their children are missing. There are a lot of wives who are missing their husbands because the military took them for forced labor and they never come back. They never come back. My own grandfather is really a good, adequate guy. They took him for like 15 days and they beat him. They were also asking the ladies to do forced labor for them. 
and my grandfather in the village, like the head of the village. And he said, we cannot give our women to do forced labor for you. And that's the reason, only for that, they took him and he stopped coming to the village for 15 days. After that, he come back, but after four months my grandfather passed away. The same thing when I left the country. The same problem happened to my uncle. They took my uncle, and they put him in the jail. They beat him a lot. So, it sounds like it's very uh, dangerous for the Rohingya in Burma. was very dangerous, and it is still dangerous for the Rohingyan who are remaining in the country. And, and I've read a bit about it, and many, uh, for a variety of reasons, will leave Burma, but they end up in refugee camps, um, which it seems like you may have passed through a little bit. Um, but I know that you actually have gone back and uh, visited your family at one of the refugee camps. Can you talk to me about the conditions and what life is like for people who end up in those refugee camps? Their lives in a refugee camp, it's like in a cage for the birds. You know, we keep the birds in a cage and feed them through the, the cage. It's something like that. Around the refugee camp there are fences. Nobody can go out and around somewhere. You have to stay in the camp. And the tent is four by four. Like, four feet here, four feet there. Guess what? You have a sister that is over 18. And a brother that is over 18. And then they have your father and all that. There is no room. Usually they all sleep together like in the one place. Life is so dangerous. And the water pump is here. The toilet is here. Your living room is here. And your kitchen is here. So the people has a lot of skin diseases over there. And a lot of children died, pass away. And the water is not clean. It is not clean. And, when it's cold, it's cold. There is no way that you can get heat. When it's hot, it's hot. There's no way you can put it to cool. You know what I mean? You taking care of your dog and what you give it for food is more than a refugee family is getting in a refugee camp. I can give you that example, because when I was small, I had a dog. So I know how much I love my dog, and I know how much food I used to give him. And I have a very small house for him that, in the winter, he can live in. What I saw the in the refugee camp is less than my dog. That's what I saw with my eyes. In my parents' refugee camp, there is no place to put the table. When I went there, you know, they met me and had the food for me, which is a lovely idea. And then they put the table down, one table. When they put one table in, there is no space for other people to sit down. That's how small the refugee camp is. And my mom is so old. And my father is old. Every month, my mom and my father has to use the medicine. And that medicine, nobody provides. Guess what? I am here, so I can provide the medicine for my parents. There is a lot of people who have no family that have been brought to another country. 
what is their situation. If they get sick, their option is, die, there's not any other options. And then, the next year I went to every camp in the city to see the conditions. And when I visit there I cry a lot. And I tell them I myself. One day I will tell the world. The Atlanta magazine got an interview from me. And I'm so happy that I can express my feeling about this. You know, some people who live in very, very bad conditions in Bangladesh, refugee camps. And after that, one month later, I got the email from your team that you'd like to interview me. I was so happy. I don't know how people treat it when they tell you to talk about your family and about yourself, your journey. Maybe some people are shy or it will make them feel uncomfortable. For me, I feel happy to tell people what exactly happened. Because a lot of people when I came here, a lot of people don't know what is the Rohingya. Some of my American friends ask me, is it a fruit? A food or fruit? They ask me. They don't know what is the, the Rohingya. And then so after, we tell them, we go to a lot of meetings, we go to a lot of events, and we have a lot of refugee events in the city, political advocacy. I am volunteering for political advocacy, like holding the signs by the road and knocking on people's doors and passing out flyers for political candidates. So that's how more people know about the Rohingya, you know? That's how we actually do it. I can do that much. Ooh. That is a bespoke taste. Good morning, everybody. Today's episode of Change Agents is brought to you by HVMN. Specifically, their product, Ketone IQ. What is Ketone IQ, you might ask yourself? It is a brain fuel. It's something that I use, like I just did. I'm getting ready to sit down for a day of podcasting, and I want clarity of focus. I want a little bit of a push when it comes to my mental acuity and ability, but I don't want to over-caffeinate myself because this isn't caffeine. These are ketones. Um, and before I even get into what ketones are, I'm actually going to let you do that yourself. Research to your heart's desire. But if you're looking for a clean energy source that has substantially helped me without the post-caffeine crash, I cannot recommend Ketone IQ enough. Again, it's from a company called HV. MN. What does that actually stand for? Health via modern nutrition is the answer to that. You can find Ketone IQ at HVMN.com. And if you use the promo code Andy at checkout, you are going to get 20% off. That is HVMN.com. Promo code Andy. One last note. Have a chaser. It's a bespoke flavor experience. It's not that it's bad, but it's not that it's good either. I don't drink it for the taste, I drink it for the effect.
For the people who are living in those refugee camps, what does it take for them to be able to leave? Do they need to find citizenship in a different country? Um, do they need to find a host family somewhere? How, how are they able to eventually leave? Is there a path for them where they can leave that camp? There's three options for them. One option is a country like the US, Canada, UK, Western country. They can really talk to the Burmese government, you know? Send them back with the respect. And they would be citizens and have citizenship and have their dignity. That's the first option. The second option, where we all live in Burma, there's two ethnic groups, Buddhists and Rohingya Muslims. So, maybe, like with the help of the US, a Western country, the NATO alliance, there's a lot of other countries that have be to separate from the other countries because of equal justice, because of the freedom, because the of their belief. And if they can help us to separate the country from Burma, that's the second option. That would be good. We are two people who can live in peace. And they'll be a completely separate country. In order to do that, we need international support. We need to have a strong military. We need to have a strong leadership. We have to have a strong have a lot of money. So, there would be war. Because on the Burma side, China is there. They are with China, so we cannot do nothing. And then the third option is, if we don't want these, the people who are in the refugee camp in Bangladesh, we have 40,000 refugees in India who are in very dangerous conditions in India. We have refugees in Thailand. We refugees in Indonesia. We have refugees in Malaysia. All over the world. And we have refugees in our own country, in Burma too. So, maybe the Western countries would resettle them. Like as soon as possible. Like, not the normal way. They need to take more. For example, the US. Every year takes 125,000. The US has to have the number go a little bit high. Canada has to go high. Because there's not only Rohingya refugees around the world. There's a lot of African refugees. There's a lot of problems in Africa. There's a lot of problems in Kashmir. There's problems in Yemen, there's problems in Syria. So there's a lot of refugees around the world. So they cannot only focus on Rohingya. They need to focus on other areas too. So the numbers should go high. If the Western countries are willing to do that. So this is the third option. This is the only three options we have. We have no other options. Are your parents still in a refugee camp now? Yes. How long have they been there? They came in 2017 to Bangladesh, now to 2023. Yeah, six years. In the conditions that you described, very cramped quarters, no ability to heat in the winter, no ability to cool in the summer. Wow. So your own journey 
it sounds like after you got off that uh, the vessel, the horrendous journey that took, it sounds like almost four times as long as they said it was going to. You said you spent four and a half years in a refugee camp yourself. I'm curious, can you talk about the path um, from you going in that refugee camp to getting your United States citizenship? I'm curious what that looks like. Okay. I remember when I was in the Sri Lanka refugee camps. I never thought I could be in America. Even when I came here to America, I asked my case manager, are you sure this is America? Because I came in the night and I saw on TV these buildings, like a big buildings and a lot of people. Very cute people, nice people, like white people. And when I came in the nighttime, only my case manager was white. I don't see the big buildings. I don't see the signs. Like saying it is the US, you know? And then I asked my case manager, are you sure it is? Because I have a hope. Maybe, I thought, they sent me back to Myanmar. They're sending us to my hometowns. You know, I have a scare for that in my heart. And my case manager tells me, Talib, this is America. I am American, what are you thinking? I said, I saw it on TV something else. And my case manager said, I will take you tomorrow to the big buildings, and maybe you will believe this is America. And then in the morning, they took me to the downtown Atlanta, and I saw the aquariums and CNN Center, big tall buildings. Then I said, I am in America. So when I was in refugee camp I studied English. In my country, I never studied English. The UN provide us the English teacher, books, and a whiteboard, and we were learning English over there. So that's how I speak a little bit of English. I also joined the GED, and then I did the GED. And so in Sri Lanka, the refugee life. It is not too much bad like Bangladesh was. The Sri Lankan people are very nice people. If I don't like to stay in America, my third option would be to stay in Sri Lanka. People are very nice. It's a Buddhist country, very nice people. And very lovely people, very respectable people. Very lovely, they're Buddhist. And then when the same Buddhists, in Myanmar who did the genocide to us. And I tell my people and my friends, don't say the Buddhists did the genocide to us. Just say Burmese government did the genocide to us. Because when I went to the Sri Lankan Buddhists, they're awesome. If you say the Buddhists did the genocide, you're also accusing the Sri Lankan Buddhists. As a whole, their religion did something, you know. And then for me, like the real Buddhist religion, you know, they're very peaceful and kind. Very respectable people that I see. But that's why we don't say, Buddhists did the genocide to us. It's not good. It is like political, you know. It's political problems. It is a religion problem.
it is not like a Buddhist problem. You know, there's a lot of Buddhists who like us. My father called me. My father has a lot of Buddhist friends who are still calling my father, saying, Hey, you know, you come back. We're going to give you protection in here. I still have my father's friend, who is calling me and my father to go back to Myanmar. We don't have civilian problems. We have only government problems. So it's very hard to understand the situation. How long did it take you once you started applying to become a United States citizen? After I came here, I needed to work for five years. First year, after one year finished, they would give me the green card. I can apply for the green card. And after five years, I can apply for citizenship. So after I become citizen, I went to see my parents after 16 years. I'm glad my parents are still alive. And I saw them. When I was coming back from Bangladesh to the US, my mother said, Why are you leaving me again? So, those words, makes me still cry, you know? Even though I'm here, and I can now be in the US, I'm glad I'm here. I'm safe. When I came here I had only some clothes, you know, like three pieces of clothes. Now, I bought a house. I bought a car here. I work three jobs. So, I'm helping my parents, and I'm helping my family that is here. I'm so happy. I'm so glad to be here, in a safe place. And I have no fear that police will stop me, or take money, or take me for no reason to the jail. You know, like, when I see my opportunity, and I feel like this opportunity, if I can give another 10 people, maybe another 10,000 people, they will feel the same, you know? There's no single day that I don't. I don't pray for the United States. And when I came here, and I was under 26, I signed for selective service. That's why I have the sign here. Any country has any problems with us. Believe me, that they don't have to ask me. I'm ready forever. Because the United States gave them a new life. What can I not give them back, you know? That's what I'm feeling. I want to help the United States government and the people give the opportunity to people who are dying every day and are struggling with their lives and fighting with their lives give this opportunity like you gave me and they will do the same thing how many rohingya refugees would you guess are currently in the u.s in the u.s 20,000, i think to 25,000 all around the country very small number compared to other ethnic groups. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, life now. I know you have a wife, you have children. T talk to me about what you do with your time now. I have five children now. I got married here. I met my wife here. I have three daughters and two sons. 
since I came to the United States, I live. I live in Clarkston. And I bought the house in Clarkston. And also, I'm the community leader. We established the community called Burmese Rohingya Community of Georgia. And I'm the director of the Burmese Rohingya Community of Georgia. And then after I came, whenever the new refugees come in, we're helping them by taking them shopping to find the job, enroll their children in school, and also we have an after-school program in our center. I'm helping to apply people who don't have green card and citizenship. I'm also helping people to vote. Our people are really, they are not really educated people, so they don't know what to do, so we guide them. I guide them. When I came to America, there was no Rohingya. I'm the first Rohingyan in Clarkston. So I know how much I struggled here. Like I don't know where the shopping mall is. I don't know where I can buy rice. And I don't know how to drive. So I know how much of a hard time I had. So I don't want to give a hard time to the people that come after me. When there's new people coming, we take them shopping, apply for their social ID. After one year, we get a green card for them. After five years we are helping them apply for citizenship. And after citizenship, we apply for the passport. And we go to vote for which candidate is good for us, good for the Rohingya. So we're helping them with this. What's your favorite part about the United States? What, what do you enjoy the most about living in the United States? Rule of law and the Constitution. I agree. Those are my favorites as well. Yeah, I mean, guess what? In this country, there's a lot of ethnic people living here and a lot of religious people living here. They never say that we'll never have, you know, any problem with their religion. No problem with the ethnic people. It's because of rule of law. In the country, our senior leaders wrote in the Constitution and make everybody obey. The rule of law is because of that reason. And I'm requesting any country have this kind of rule of law and the Constitution. Every country would have peace like this. And the country has no problems, no refugees, no crisis, no genocide. It is the leaders and the rule of law. I think that is the only answer is to tell people your story about who you are and where you came from and what you had to go through to get to this country and what this country could potentially do to help with people who are Rohingya refugees um, or still even inside of Burma dealing with uh, persecution. So I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to tell me your story. And I cannot thank you enough for just being open about who you are and what you had to go through to get to this country. And I'm glad that you are here.
seems like you are absolutely kicking ass and living the American dream. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you are interested in helping people like Abu, you can check out the organization New American Pathways at newamericanpathways.org. So AT and then altogether newamericanpathways.org. Their goal is to help refugees who have resettled in the United States on their journey to citizenship.